an anxiety happy hour contains the unhinged musings of three so-called adults. We may be talking about sex, violence, drug, really anything that comes to mind, but it's just our demented minds and no one else's. Listener discretion is not only advised, it is strongly recommended. Welcome to, but I don't want to, an anxiety happy hour. Or anxiety happy hour for short. Or as I like to call it, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Today we're talking about food. Let's do a quick status roll call of who considers themselves to have anxiety regarding food. (laughs) I'm hearing a definite yes from Brittany. Uh (laughs) Absolutely. A nervous laughter from Bunsen. (laughs) I definitely have some food anxiety. So I think we dealt with this in a past episode talking about Captain Food Allergy. Yeah, I have some anxieties around food and it's life or death, not just being like, ooh, I don't want to do that. The only food that I'm allergic to is pears and I gotta say doesn't happen a whole lot in my life that pears really become a pressing issue with the exception of a dinner party thrown by Kelsey in which she was very mad at me that all of her dessert (laughs) options were pear based and I had failed to mention I was allergic to pears oh the poor girl (laughs) she throws a great dinner party or to make an entire dessert menu out of pear I think that takes some skill it looked fantastic that was the night that she fed us duck it was delicious Kelsey your niece no 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 this This is Kelsey. She and I went to the same high school. Not at the same time, but we went to the same high school. She messaged me before the dinner party and was like, hey, can I ask you to bring something? And I said, of course you can ask me to bring something. And I'm thinking maybe wine. I sell wine sometimes. That's probably what she wants. Or or maybe she wants me to bring an appetizer or or a salad or something like that. Then she's like, could you bring a carving knife and carve this duck? (laughs) I, I was like, stranger request i think it was the day of the dinner party and i was like strange request but oddly i have an electric carving knife and feel very confident i can do this perfect perfect so no anxiety there at all oh no i i love a knife (laughs) but my food allergies are definitely more psychological related to how i was raised per usual let's go ahead and blame childhood i was a debutante because I'm very fancy. There are many, many, many rules that you have to learn as a person that goes to Cotillion. Cotillion's the training ground to become a debutante. So I have that layer of am I using the right fork, yada, yada. And then I also have the weird complex of our generations. I, I think I speak for all of us. Our parents were very emphatic that we should finish everything on our plate because there's starving children somewhere. Right. But also obsessed with weight loss. But also obsessed with weight loss. And so <laughs> I got into this thing that I feel compelled to finish whatever on my plate. And then 
I feel shameful that I finished everything on my plate. Oh my god. (laughs) It's the worst. It's the worst. You put it so simply, but yes, exactly. It's almost as though they were setting us up for failure and to have future issues with both food and our relationships to it. To be fair, I did hear that the way our food is processed is very different from the food that they and their parents were consuming. So they just, I, I think they were trying to raise us as they were raised. I don't think it was an intentional knowledge of how food was going to impact us with how it was being made. I think it was, you know, just, uh, what's it called? Not negligence, where you just don't know. It was just ignorance. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of that. I also am going to give leniency where leniency is due. They, A, grew up with, for for the most part, grew up with parents that experienced the Great Depression. And so they... (laughs) We're told, I'm sure, to eat all the food on their plate because food was a scarcity. And so you don't want to waste the little resources that you have. So they're mimicking their parents in that way. And also, I think portions are larger at restaurants and things than they used to be. Yes, I agree with that. Just to clarify, I wasn't laughing at the Great Depression. I was just laughing at the fact that like, I have to go several generations back to have a family member that touched it. Brittany, <laughs> stop <laughs> laughing at the Great Depression. Oh it's God. really rude. I can't believe you would be so insensitive. I was going to say to take this a step further and kind of like pivot more towards a systemic thing. And something that does really give me anxiety. So yeah, we know there was food scarcity during the Great Depression. And we know that clearly led to some pretty traumatic things in a lot of people's lives and a lot of death and other sort of ruin but these days there are still places where there is not access to you know healthy food um you know speaking of how things are processed and the sort of foods that are actually making it to the tables there been this sort of ongoing slow creep of agriculture bills that get passed every decade or so that kind of dictate what our food policy is and it's pushed us more and more towards these factory farms right you see all sorts of uh, movies about it you know fast food nation and things like that where they cows get raised and how they get butchered and how everybody treats them people you know worrying about the ethics of that but when it comes down to it the nutrition that we get today is so land out and so artificially constructed from little tiny bits and pieces of whatever's convenient to make these food products that just are not natural that's what gives me anxiety is that we just don't know what we've been putting into ourselves a lot of the time and cause problems for us long term you know i mean think about all the soy that's gone into everything and they're like oh yeah if you eat too much of that it mimics a hormone so that might interfere with development or you know cause problem various people it's yeah i mean that stuff gives me anxiety because there's so little opportunity for us to affect anything to change it i was past puberty when the little science factoid came out that women really should be drinking organic milk because non-organic milk creates an increase that has you have some unnaturally larger tatas and stuff (laughs) and i have (laughs) 
back pain up the wazoo and I blame milk. <laughs> it's milk's fault. Big milk. <laughs> Not only milk, I was going to say with soy, I believe the hormone that it mimics is estrogen. And so we're seeing like young boys develop little movies. Oh, um, the movies. Just because they're getting too much estrogen. See, this is all a result of they did things thinking, oh, this is a good idea, right? We want the cows to make more milk. Yay, we're going to make it. Not understanding that they were going to be expressing this hormone in the milk. We definitely don't stop to think, should we do this before we actually do it? Now you see it's advertised everywhere. Oh, you know, there's no BHA, I think it is. Is that the, the bovine growth hormone? Uh, uh, so what am see, I, a scientist? It's, I don't it's know. It's BPA. Oh, sorry, BPA. See, so, yeah, you, you see that advertised that it's you know, BPA-free. So, you know, the, maybe the next generation, it won't happen. But yeah. Oh, I'm sure we have plastic. a new, fun, exciting way to mess up the next generation. Don't you worry. Oh, absolutely. It was plastic, though. Yeah, exactly. The microplastics. They're going to just be eating all plastic all the time. <laughs> now, next week, we're talking about money issues. So I'm not going to go too much into it. But I think there's also a really big issue for me when it comes to the anxiety of food because of the prices of healthy food versus not healthy food. I can go to a fast food place and get a food that's not great for me, but super tasty. It's filled with lots of oils and all of that trigger the part of your stomach that says you're going to be hungry for a very short amount of time. So an hour later, you're hungry again, but it costs maybe like five, six, seven dollars where I go and certain vegetables just the one ingredient costs five six seven dollars mm -hmm. not to mention when we do food stamps regardless how you feel about food stamps because i you know i've waffled on the idea of the system we have set right now for food stamps but in the grocery store you can't get everything in the grocery store with the food stamps especially healthy foods a lot of times you can't you can definitely go in and get cheetos which seems bizarre to me that you can can get total terribleness for your body but you struggle to get some healthy foods for your family the interesting part about how that sort of comes about is who is the you know sort of corporate sponsor of the program you know who is discounting their things to allow them to be used in the program and it's like oh you can get cheerios but you're also getting this too so the companies that are doing these things and putting their product out into the eligibility area for these programs are definitely taking advantage of it if it's disconcerting. We have established before that I think the majority of your hosts here lean a little towards maybe we should just be socialist. But <laughs> I, I think that it would be great if our system automatically had certain key things for you. I, I don't know what the best vegetable is for you these days. Broccoli? I don't, I don't know. Beets? I, beets. Ugh, I hate beets. But... <laughs> Let's say beets is the best vegetable for you. And you have beets, you have water, you have bread or, or whatever it is that's the most healthy thing for you. And every single person is entitled to a certain amount if they go to the grocery store that's paid for by our taxes. So those aren't billed, they're just kept track of and the government pays for the population to be able to have that. So if you were homeless or whatever, you could walk into a grocery store, you know that these 
items you could get for free. Not a single cent. You can get those. And then we just sell in the grocery stores for money the extra stuff that aren't necessary to live, but like you enjoy like oregano. I like I, oregano. I think part of the problem is that they have to keep paying the farmers, which I heard somewhere and by no means am I an expert, but I heard that we have so much freaking cheese stored in like caves in this country, <laughs> but we keep producing cheese to keep the dairy farmers like alive and paid. <laughs> okay, well, can we not sell that to other countries that maybe have a cheese shortage or does everybody I, have cheese? I don't well, think anyone has a cheese shortage. Yeah, it's one of those issues where it's like we're creating this particular type of thing that is just not something <laughs> that other places want. And the other thing that's really interesting too is you hear stories about farmers being paid to let fields go like fallow right like they planted the crops but the crops can't get harvested so don't actually harvest them just let it rot on the field and then plow it back under again well it's uh, definitely a fact that the united states only eats 30 percent of the crops that we grow a lot of it just gets thrown out mm-hmm, yeah which gives me anxiety from a let me start a protest save the world it really is you know the systemic part of this all is overwhelming i wrote ridiculous amounts of stuff on this when I was doing my associates. I was really focused on food justice and looking at what the system has in store for us and what it does and how it works or doesn't work. It's really troubling is what it comes down to. The government has a huge hand in all of this stuff. You know, they're basically dictating what's getting grown, like you're saying, or what's getting harvested or turning cheese into government cheese or turning milk into government cheese, excuse me. All of it totals up to this complete mess that's really not serving us in the best possible way. But we just don't think about it because we're so busy. You were mentioning mm-hmm. fast food. It's the easy, convenient thing or a bag of Cheetos. You know, if you eat a bag of Cheetos, it's like, oh, this is a lot of flavor. It feels good in the moment, even though it's not going to make you feel good overall. We go for those quick fixes or those emotional eats. Then that's where all sorts of other problems come in. I'm really oh. glad you brought up emotional eats because I thought <laughs> we were going to go in a different direction with this episode. My main coping skill and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, we could circle back down to the personal now that we've acknowledged the fact that everything sucks, but let's deal with what we've got. Yeah. And Brittany, I am so with you. It's not even funny how badly during the whole you know divorce process and everything like that. It's an ungodly amount of weight that I put on. It was not good. I was eating way too much crap. In addition to that, when I am stressed, I A, want the comfort food, of course, because it's more delicious but also I'm less motivated to do the cooking or the planning before the cooking and my my therapist over the last year we've been working on creating healthier routines for me one of the major components of that was okay well why don't you start doing one of those food things that cost money that they'll send you the ingredients you have the the recipe in front of you that way you don't have to do any of the research it's just an easier thing to do and I was doing really great on that and then I hit a stress point in my life and just canceled my subscription and I've been ordering takeout and I had a lot of soup recently that I was just going through cans of soup because I didn't want to cook Oof, yeah I think cooking for yourself is one level and I remember when it 
it was just me that I had to cook for and money was tight, which is a separate issue. But I would like pour out all of the spaghetti noodles in a box and I would count them out. And I got real like weird about like portioning out all these noodles just to make sure that I had enough to last X amount of days till payday. I don't know if it overlapped with the time that I lived with you, but I absolutely adored opening our fridge and finding (laughs) the portioned out shrimp that had different seasonings that I could just cook up. No, no. This was like during my child protective services days, you know, because like you're stressed out the whole time that you're working. You're stressed out the whole time that you're home because you were exposed to all that trauma and now you have secondhand trauma and then you just want to eat your comfort food, but you can't really afford a whole bunch of comfort food. I remember on paydays, the first and the 16th, I would get Zaxby's because that was a treat. And then the rest of the month, I would like not have money for food. (laughs) That's rough because you're you're over there doing God's work trying to (laughs) to save these little babies who's saving you no one or like my only me time I remember getting so mad when I was a supervisor like my only me time was gonna be eating lunch the rest of the day I was at everybody else's disposal and I would like find a quiet time where things seem settled down and I would go get my food and I would sit down at my desk so like I wasn't in a lunchroom I wasn't in other people's space I could just be by myself and people would not stop coming in my office (laughs) and that made me so number one anxious because I don't want people to watch me eat or like wait for me to finish chewing so I can answer them and then number two I get no peace my comfort is now stressing me out (laughs) I definitely though consider food a reward Mm. where there have been many times I know some people don't like to go out to eat by themselves but going out to eat by myself is one of my favorite things to do because I am taking time to myself I bring a book or something of that nature so I I don't feel bored and I don't feel uncomfortable because I have an activity I'm not just sitting there staring at people get something delicious and I usually because I worked in the service industry I don't want people to be like oh a one top great two bucks what's going on so (laughs) I order the appetizer and a meal and dessert so that the check is hefty enough that they feel like it was worth the time. So now I'm eating way too much (laughs) and spending way too much money Mm -hmm. all for that moment of me time that I can't work on work because I'm out of restaurant and so I can't spread out all my work on the, the table. Also, I can justify not answering my phone or anything of that nature because I'm in a restaurant. It would be rude to my server. Dumb rules that I've made up myself that (laughs) I certainly don't have to follow. But my brain makeup says I have to follow makes that time separate. Food shouldn't be a reward in that nature. I don't think. This ad break is brought to you by One Tops that over order and over tip. We're back. Well, two of us are. <laughs> Surprise. Normally it's me who's the last one in here. Yeah, you're on it today. I know. This is amazing. <laughs> That's okay. Beamer's out of state, so we'll give her uh Oh yeah. We'll give her a little bit of flack. I think I don't know where they are though. They're in New York. Oh, okay. That's like, where it is. Not the city, upstate. Gotcha, gotcha. I saw that, you know, Bob was on a boat at some point and I was like, Well that's adorable. <laughs> yeah, she had to take a ferry. I know. That's so cool. <laughs> I want the full story. <laughs> there okay. she is. It takes me a lot longer to type in the address than just click the button on the text. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> wait a second. You were just saying that you don't think that 
food should be a reward. But isn't that kind of the other part of the problem is that there is such a social component to it? Think of this, right? Like being like the every time we've seen each other, we've probably had food involved, right? I think that's a hundred percent chance. Absolutely, right? And neither of us are sad about that or upset about it. But it's just you're with your friends, you're socializing. Food, you make it a social activity. Families, you know, used to gather around the table, right? In a lot of countries, that's still a thing. Not so much here because we're on the go and everything. But I do think that there's nothing wrong with deriving pleasure from eating food. I think. No. That should be I think you should okay. derive pleasure from food because food is one of my greatest pleasures. I don't want to take that away from myself. But the way that I have set it up is you did a good thing. You get a treat. I am not a dog. I should not get a treat every time I do a good thing in that nature. Because then it, the reverse is if I feel like I didn't do well on something, then I don't feel like I deserve nutrition, which is dumb. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's very logical. And I absolutely see how your brain would think that. And disordered eating, this is something I know I have a problem with. I'm sure many people listening are going to have struggled with it as well. This is a real legitimate thing. We internalize these external stressors and it makes us behave in ways that are counter to what we need to do to live. Now, I have never had, or at least I don't believe I have had an eating disorder. While I have many issues with food, I have never had anorexia where I don't eat and I have never had bulimia that I force myself to throw up after eating which are the ones I know of as food disorders have either of you struggled with an eating disorder though (laughs) yes so binging is also disordered eating where you I it, it starts as a reward or a coping mechanism and it spirals into I feel so sick right now but I cannot stop until whatever I'm eating is gone okay well then i guess i have had one yeah (laughs) that is my biggest thing that i hate about myself i think and i hate i hate 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 i hate saying that i hate something about myself but it it is because it causes so many other residual issues is that you are you're you're not smoking meth you're not out there like doing anything bad but you are destroying your own health and it feels like something you're supposed to eat every day you're supposed to have a grip on this thing that you do literally every single day of your life and it controls me and it's sometimes all i can think about that is yeah well first off thank you for sharing that secondly definitely have problems with binge eating here you know i am as the bmi index would say morbidly obese but definitely i am way above where my you know body is comfortable being in terms of my weight that is a struggle in and of itself you know it creates other issues for me while actually eating but we just focus on the anorexia and the bulimia because those are you know the most apparent ones you know when somebody is in a truly scary anorexic battle because they you know become skin and bones and Mm -hmm. everybody knows about bulimia and throwing up because it's been dramatized in Hollywood over and over again and made into some sort of you know character flaw or something like that this is 
the struggle I think so many people have and you know the anxiety component comes in there is that we feel this heavy sort of moral failing for having any sort of disordered eating like we should be able to do this better right mm-hmm. like our body is designed to do one thing why can't we do the thing that we're supposed to do and it's still totally acceptable societally to beat yourself up about having a problem with eating mm-hmm. and it's not okay we're not given the tools that we need to be successful in this to begin with. We're not given easy access to healthy, nutritive food. Why should you then feel like you're less of a person for relying on a coping mechanism in the midst of a situation where you're just not set up to win anyways? Also, how is it fair that all the foods that are bad for you are so delicious? Yeah, that too. (laughs) Oh, you know what though? Something else is sugar is like, I heard the most addictive substance on the planet, right? And America has so much more sugar in their food than like every other country. (laughs) invent new ways to say sugar right like (laughs) corn barter it delights me that there are countries in europe that make it illegal to label it diet coke because it's not healthy for you (laughs) it's so good though (laughs) it's so good it's so good other countries looking at that and being like no that's deceiving well remember even here coke had to change it from coke zero to coke zero sugar oh i didn't realize that was a name change yeah but you're right i'm I'm remembering now in Europe, it's Coca-Cola light, right? Yes. There we go. I'd almost forgot. Not me. It's always there. It's right there. But even in our like super sugary crap, like cereal with marshmallows in it, other countries can have that same cereal, but the ingredient list is vastly different. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I don't drink dark soda in the United States. I don't particularly like the taste of it. I also grew up hearing that it stains your teeth and I was always very conscious of that because I have less enamel on my teeth and I wanted to avoid staining my teeth in other countries i'll drink it because in other countries it tastes different it's true think about the expensive glass bottles of coca-cola that you can buy at Pope. i love a glass bottle absolutely but you're paying four bucks for 12 ounces of soda at Chipotle because it contains actual cane sugar, which you can't get in the United States. I remember a few years back, Pepsi did that too. It was like a promotional thing for the summer. They were like, hey, we're using cane sugar. Come and taste some real soda. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, it, so now we have rankings of like, what is the better kind of sugar? When really the problem is just we don't need as much sugar as you're feeding us. You jerk. What are you talking about? I definitely need six sticks of pixie sticks. I mean, are you going to eat those or are you going to Oh God. Let me live my best life, Bunsen. <laughs> I didn't. I, hey, I was not discouraging you. I was just asking. Okay, we I went off the rails. It. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So where were we? We were talking about snorting pixie sticks and then... <laughs> we focused a lot on how food has is different in the U.S., but we haven't really focused as much on our anxieties around food. In the beginning, you two touched on your allergies and I've touched on how I use it as kind of a negative coping skill. Let's dive more into the anxiety around it and maybe how anxiety has helped us. Or Again, going back to my debutante days, when hosting an event, almost always you need food, right? Absolutely. Food, drink, something of that nature. And, you know, food and beverage goes hand in hand to the service community. I feel as much peer pressure when out drinking with friends to eat when they eat 
eat as I do to drink when they drink. That makes perfect hmm. sense. You don't want to be the odd one out at the table of eight people when everybody else has something in front of them and you're just like, oh no, I wasn't the hungry. Just came to spend time with you. Exactly. See, I don't, I, I guess I'm grateful for this that one of my main drinking buddies in college, Caroline, she cannot eat once she's reached a certain point of drunkenness. Like she just will not eat. <laughs> so all the nights that I wanted cheese fries, <laughs> she would just sit there and wait till I was done. So like it was kind of a hurry up and let's go home. <laughs> I don't feel compelled as much to eat when other people eat because it's been so normalized to me that not everyone has to be eating while we're drinking. Usually I want to, but that's a different story. <laughs> the worst date that I ever went on for many, many reasons was with this guy named Davidson. And one component of our terrible date was going out to eat I ordered my food at the counter and he was paying. So he was ordering behind me. And then he just said, oh no, I actually ate before this and proceeded to watch me eat a burrito. What? (laughs) That's awkward. (laughs) It was so awkward. Trust me, I would have starved before I would have chosen to eat a burrito in front of somebody that wasn't eating a burrito. Yeah, that is like beaten into us when we're young about being poor manners if you want a soda you get your friend a soda if you want a snack you get your friend a snack (laughs) yeah yeah that makes perfect sense and you know sharing means caring right so yeah that's super awkward that someone would do that to you on purpose i would love to say that was the worst part of that day but it was not (laughs) (laughs) we could save that for another episode (laughs) whole episode dedicated to davidson the professional gambler Oh boy. Wow. You got <laughs> shaken down in an alley over some uh, debt on the book? No, no, no. I, I didn't do that, but I did drop him off at the end of the date in underground um, poker night instead of him coming home with me or me going home with him or me dropping at him at his home and him going separately to the illegal gambling. <laughs> I mean, it still sounds like it worked out well for you, <laughs> but regardless. In what world did that work out well for me? Just wondering. Uh, didn't end up taking him home, so points. I guess. The whole next day, though. <laughs> that is a different episode. Let's continue. Okay. Yeah, I get weird eating around people, and I think it has everything to do with just being self-conscious and thinking, oh, okay, well, I'm larger, you know, I don't want to spill food on myself and seem like, you know, oh, fat slob, assuming that that is a thought that will cross people's mind. I mean, that's a very specific sort of anxiety but it is constant i am constantly brushing myself off i'm constantly making sure there's no like stains on my shirt or something like that or a crumb in my beard just because i it would be embarrassing and it would be like huh go figure right that guy there are people you don't feel that way around for example your children absolutely and thankfully that is because they are covered in food constantly (laughs) but my little guy he has no sense of the fact that he is covered in food and he constantly poor thing bless his heart his giant fluffy cheeks constantly have food (laughs) on them he always needs his face wiped and he just doesn't care i i love that about him at seven that he just doesn't (laughs) care i'd like to have a little more of that in me (laughs) Are there people that you didn't produce that you feel comfortable eating around without being self-conscious? I think really close friends, yeah. 
Like, you know, present company included. You know, you've seen, me eating, you've seen me eat some pretty drenched in sauces and crazy things. So I'm, Are you I'm, talking about our monster tater tots? Uh, the monster tater tots and then the burgers. Holy crap. Those sauces. Oh, those were good. Those oh, were good. Those were good. Holy, yeah, geez. Britt, we'll have to send one down to you. I don't know what condition it'll be in when it makes it down there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, no. Just, I'll come up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're idea. not better we're idea. not sending either of those things in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so that's my weird hang-up that I have is that I'm, I'm just constantly aware of how I'm mm. I, I also will say that when I, for example, go out to eat with friends, if they're eating something that's delicious and... And looks great and all of that. I feel self-conscious ordering the healthy. Mm, so yeah. even if I intended to get a salad, if you're getting mac and cheese, I don't want to be seen as like watching my weight or anything, even though I should uh, yes. be watching my weight. I don't want to be isolated in that way. You know, you can't have been one without talking about it. But I used to be a vegan for two and a half years. <laughs> and the amount of shit I got for that was so high. And eventually I was convinced by my friends to stop being vegan, even though it was the healthiest that I was in my adult life. Because now due to my somewhat lazy tendencies, when I went to read a package to see whether it had meat in it or dairy in it, if I didn't know what a word was, I didn't get it because I was too lazy to look up what that word was, which meant that I ate a lot less processed food. So overall, I was having a much healthier diet in addition to eating more vegetables etc and my friends hated it my friends were embarrassed when we went to restaurants and i could only order off the sides i wasn't embarrassed i thought it was cool that you knew where the vegan tacos were or vegan wings they were vegan wings and they were good but i think you were a minority well that's mean yeah, sure people are mean <laughs> And that's another thing, right? When we think of food and we think of like where issues may have stemmed from, you know, you think of a couple places, right? You think of your parents, but then you also think of, you know, people being mean. It's not really often that adults are mean to each other with eating. I think a lot of it's kids, right? I would say adults are more passive aggressively. Yes. Mm, okay. I like that. Which is often more hurtful. More of the, you're going to eat that? Because there was a big difference between friends coming over to my house as a child and being like oh let's get a snack and my kitchen snacks were carrots in the old <laughs> 80s Tupperware that was in the fridge with the water and the pull-up barbershop type deal to pull the carrots out of the water those were the snacks at my house we didn't have chips we didn't have all of those things except on very special occasions and the kids being like oh man next time we go to my house because the snacks are way better there <laughs> was a little bit of hurt with that but also I'm interested in going to your house where these better snacks are <laughs> as an adult I felt a pressure to cater to people's wants and desires and I don't like if they didn't like what was offered I took it more personally because I was responsible for producing that where before you know my parents bought first that was a bad example but no I don't think so I think it illustrated what you're trying to say perfectly I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about kids but 
Munson, do you have this problem with your babies where, so my boyfriend's daughter will just eat like a bird sometimes. She won't eat at all. And whenever she doesn't eat her food, I know that she's not gonna, she also doesn't eat leftovers. So I feel compelled to eat whatever she left over because like Beamer said in the beginning, we were raised to clean all the food off of our plates. Don't let food go to waste, yada, yada. Um, Have you had to deal with that as well? Fortunately, no, but there's a very sad reason for that. Mine, uh, both of my little ones, but primarily my older son, he is severely restricted on what he eats. He's got like a handful of food items and will not deviate from those. It is potentially due to being neurospicy. You know, he has ADHD, questionably may also, you know, have some place on the spectrum. And it's an issue that we know about and have been working, you know, with professionals on for a very long time, but there's not been a lot of progress with it. Every once in a while, there'll be like one new food added into the mix, but that's about it. So that can be difficult. So a lot of the times he's eating a grilled cheese and there might just be crust left over or, you know, Purdue chicken tenders or something, which... I'm good. I'm going to pass on those. Uh, The little one, I don't have to worry about that issue because his plate will be empty. It's a dichotomy between these two and you see it when you see them side by side. Potentially Um, the difference between raising girls and boys. uh, Well, you know, it's interesting because I couldn't fathom eating some of the stuff that they eat. It's you know, it's the, the kids' food versus what you, you know, your palate is as an adult. It's very different. And, you know, I wasn't, I mean, certainly I was raised with that. Yeah, you need to finish what's on your plate and everything. But, you know, I feel a little more empowered to not finish stuff on the plate with, you know, the allergies and things like that. I've also become comfortable with the fact that, you know, there is going to be waste. Like, not everything needs to be a leftover every single time. I'm in a position here where, you know, we compost. You can just take stuff and put it in that kind of guilt-free. That's lovely. Feels a lot better than knowing it's going in a you know plastic trash bag to you know slowly rot over some course of time i of course don't remember the name but there is a show i believe it's on netflix that is cooks taking leftovers and making new dishes out of them and it was a revolutionary idea to me because it had never occurred to me you could make something that was a leftover into something new what right (laughs) The most I had ever done was put my leftovers in a tortilla wrap and eat it as a wrap. But that counts. It counts, but it wasn't a conscious thing as much as this is all congealed together. What's the easiest way to shove it into my mouth? (laughs) I... I think that, you know, composing dishes from leftovers certainly seems suspect at times. Uh, You're like, why would I do this? But you're right. Like, I think the other thing is, too... You know, what is the source of the leftovers? Are you eating like a composed plate from a restaurant and there's like very specific things left over? Or was this like actual real food and now you can kind of do something with it? They um, they had three rounds mm-hmm. and the first round was always taking like takeout type leftovers to elevate it into something fancy. Mm-hmm. Then the other one was taking something that has a distinctly like Chinese food that that Chinese food tastes like Chinese food and making it taste like something different. So taking strong tastes and making them not as strong. And then the third one was final elimination, whatever nonsense that changed based on the episode. But what I found most interesting, especially when they did the fast food stuff, is they didn't always use 
all of the components of a dish. They sometimes, they had, for example, half a burger left over. They may not use the wilted lettuce, but they might, and they might not use the bun, but they use the stuff inside. Uh, honestly, when I tell you I had never thought about deconstructing leftovers to make something new, this seemed like magic to me. <laughs> oh, it is like magic when you have a real professional chef doing it. And it's a little more intimidating when you're there in your kitchen by yourself all faced with a fridge and no idea of where to start for sure something else about food anxiety this is gonna be really off the wall so hear me out sometimes i think meat is human i'm gonna need i'm gonna need more information (laughs) like long pig instead of pork like what like soylent green as people yeah yeah no but so in sixth grade i tried being a vegetarian for the first time and in order to like convince myself that no i don't really want that i just like kept telling myself it's actually human it's actually human and then i started looking up like what does human taste like and apparently it tastes like pork so now i have a thing about pork i like bacon and i can i like pepperonis but a lot of pork products i just cannot eat it makes me very anxious cannibalistic websites (laughs) were you on that you're researching what human flesh tastes like uh don't worry about it Don't worry worry about it. They're forums you're not invited to. I mean, for everything on Google, you know, thanks, uh, thanks to the Germans, we definitely have some good information on that. That's all we'll say. I started listening to this podcast called Old Gods of Appalachia. Highly recommend. Very fun. And there, there's definitely a story that they tell that's a little bit cannibal. And you're over here just like, oh, oh no, (laughs) just waiting for it. I know what that is, and it's one of the six missing children. Yikes. How have your food anxieties helped y'all? I think for me, having to be hyper vigilant that there are no nuts in the things that I eat has definitely made me somebody who checks the you know nutrition labels and things like that. And it's also made me take a look at what the ingredients are a lot of the times, things that I'm eating. I don't always make better choices because of it, but I'm at least looking and getting a little more informed and gives you a chance to notice patterns. Like again, how much soy or corn or cellulose or whatever uh, sugar in all of its different forms is inside of something. I would say that that's a net benefit because I at least feel comfortable turning to that label and understanding what the different components are. The next advertisement break is brought to you by Bunsen's allergies, which include, but are not limited to, peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, and soy. I love that that comes up in your Facebook memories. <laughs> Holy <Yes>. shit. <laughs> Maybe that could be the uh, the game show, right? Is it veal or is it people? That's disgusting. Personal motto when it comes to food. I don't eat anything that I wouldn't theoretically kill myself. And some of it ends up being more morality where I don't eat veal. Because I don't like the way that veal is generally like raised, and and it's the baby cow. I, I want the baby cow to have an adult cow experiences. But then there are other things that fall into the category of sheep are fast. I don't know if you've ever tried to chase a sheep, but I am not good at it. <laughs> so theoretically, that sheep would get beyond me, and I would not be able to kill it. See, the key to getting close to a sheep is you have to romance it. <laughs> Do we Woo eat sheep? The sheep? 
I've heard of eating goat and I've heard of eating lamb, like a baby sheep, but I've never heard of eating like a grown-up sheep. Have you ever heard of mutton? Oh, I have heard of that in like a book. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are definitely lamb recipes that are actually full-grown sheep. Oh, <gasps> you mean they lied to us? They lied to you because lamb sounds nicer. It does, but also why would you kill baby lambs? They're so cute. I actually don't know that there's a whole lot of slaughtering of baby lambs. I think it's almost all sheep. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's right. better. I, mean... I, I could be completely wrong on this. In fact, I'm going to take this moment to <laughs> look it up. But i that's my impression. I was going to say, we could also poll the audience on this one. Listeners, if you are raising goats or sheep, could you please tell us, do you actually kill cute little baby lambs? Or is like rack of lamb just like your old sheep that you shorn it 10 times? Now it's like done. You're just going to no, trade it in for a new one. No judgment. We just want to know. Yeah. This is just purely, <laughs> this is purely educational here. <laughs> I think I'm wrong. It is baby <gasps> lambs. What? I think almost all the time it's lamb when you're eating lamb. What I'm seeing online is that the lamb is more tender and there's a lot of things that are like, in conclusion, yes, you can eat sheep. They're actually delicious, but yada, yada, yada. So I I think that I am completely wrong. And now that's a whole new level. (laughs) Every time I think now I have the baby sheep in addition that I worry about. New levels. Finding new anxieties every day. (laughs) Yay. You know what? This actually takes me down yet another tangent, but I feel like it's one that we need to go down because it's one that has been popular for years now, uh, in part due to folks like Andrew Zimmern and Anthony Bourdain going to strange and wonderful places. How about foods from different cultures that absolutely raise your ire? Like things that you're like, what, you actually do that? Korea, I believe, is known for dog meat. I think that there would be a problem in your family with that. Uh, Yes, Bob would be very offended. I'm not even mad about dog meat. I get mad about the freaking haggis. Tell us about your anger with haggis. Disgusting. (laughs) For those that don't know, what is haggis? Uh, It's stomach, isn't it? I believe it's sheep intestine. They fill it. They stuff it with something like some mix of oats and sausage bits or other. Yeah, I think it's like a sausage casing. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't or, want oh. haggis don't want chitterlings don't want intestines of any kind did you call it chitterlings yeah what are they called chitlins <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's just the crispy part of bacon in chunkier form bless your heart darling bless your heart chitterlins they don't eat it. i i know i know that bunsen is under the impression that both Brittany and beamer are southern bells but Brittany is actually a transplant and it comes across i I remember the army brat i know (laughs) it comes across once in a while that girl ain't from the south and chitterlings (laughs) is a big indicator that this girl hung out in minnesota (laughs) i also would not eat lutefisk though oh i don't know what that uh, is it's fish soaked in lye. Oh yeah, it's it's horrendous. There's. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it lye poisonous? Yeah, that's what be. I thought too. <laughs> you know what you need lye for is basically bleach out the corn so that you can make corn flour for tortillas. There's I thought lye was like that old dope. Yeah, it's it it'll take the grease off everything. Speaking of dead bodies and soap, did you know that this could be like an urban legend or whatever? Maybe not urban. <laughs> um, a, a rural legend. Tale. I heard that they discovered soapy properties of lye in the 
this particular river, they would wash their clothes in it and they would suds up and they would get cleaner and they didn't understand why until they followed the river upstream and found that there were just a lot of dead bodies in it. Oh, wow. And as they were decomposing, they, you know, the lie and the something. I'm not telling the story right, but (laughs) I mean, it's the first time I've heard the story. So there's only one way. (laughs) I thought we were going for like the how you make soap fight club style. And oh, no, we don't talk about fight club. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I already broke the first rule. (laughs) You've always heard stories about foods that were prepared in potentially sketchy and dangerous ways like Cobra wine or absolutely not Vietnamese formaldehyde beer, which I'm convinced was a lie, not lie with a Y, lie with an I. <laughs> just to be clear just to be clear now but yeah there's other things like you know we were talking about haggis what about blood pudding i mean that sounds pretty nasty is there real blood in that yeah, <gasps> yeah. 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 aids not human blood yeah again yeah. you and the humans um aids didn't come from humans it came from monkey okay have you had a lot of monkey not that i know of do you think the scottish have had a lot of monkey mm. <laughs> now all I can think of is monkeys tracing through the Scottish Islands <laughs> Braveheart style. Since we're already off the rails, have you heard about the bog bodies? Yes. Oh, yes. I think that that's so fascinating. These bodies surface that are from forever and a day ago, but are perfectly preserved because they like went down and whatever black magic exists in the bog has preserved these bodies for hundreds of years. Yeah. You remember that part in Lord of the Rings or it might have been the two towers where they're like traveling through the bog? Unpopular opinion. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And so I have seen every movie once. My friend Alice that I grew up with. Hey, Alice, love you. She (laughs) forced me to do a lot of things that I was not interested in doing. And one of them was seeing all of the Lord of the Ring movies when they came out in the movie theater. You were not captivated? No, I was slightly bored for a long time. At least that brings us back to potatoes. (laughs) Yes, the ultimate food. I will say, though, that maybe it's just the... The, the version that's popular of Lord of the Rings that I don't like because from the public library I did see a cartoon version of The Hobbit and I mm-hmm. did enjoy that. Uh, oh like the 1970s version like the tapped out scary one? Yeah I enjoyed that. That was good times. It was prepared by people who were definitely on drugs <laughs> as, as know, most things were in the 70s. You know maybe that's what I felt like Lord of the Rings needed more drugs. You know what we should probably have a disclaimer that says the opinions expressed in this podcast are expressly our own and do not represent those of others. You should not take our stories as facts because we don't know if they are. <laughs> so it's time for us to have a longer disclaimer. We can redo okay it. can you redo the disclaimer i will redo the disclaimer (laughs) three hosts they're part of the issue (laughs) yes we a hundred percent are part of the issue unhinged was the best part of that (laughs) exactly and it does it does daddy made you some content (laughs) i was like oh look at this already created content let me just swipe this cannibal post on instagram and i keep messing up back onto the railroad track that is food anxieties i would love to say my anxieties around food have created some sort of positive outcome but i don't think my therapist and i have quite gotten there when i think of all 
the different anxieties that I have with the food. That's not what has created positive things related to food. When I was vegan, were definitely things that changed the way I thought about food. Different articles I read, different yada yada, shape a more positive view of food. But I don't know that any of my anxieties have made something positive yet. Yet. I'm hoping soon I will work on it and we will be better. But I, I think for Beamer, she's bowing out of this positive one. That's fair. I mean, I think what this comes down to is that we have to eat to live, right? It is a compulsion. Our body makes us do it. We need to do it. We have signals that tell us to do it. We have pain when we don't do it. There's all sorts of physiological things that make us interact with these substances. Everything else around it is a creation of our minds. It is such a difficult, complex problem. It is so ingrained in society. It's so ingrained in our own self-images. It's just a lot. And, you know, Beamer, if you don't solve it, it's still okay. At least you were aware of it and you made it something you wanted to focus on, right? Have you ever read the book Eat to Live? I've not. Oh, there's a book that I read when I was vegan by Joel Furman. I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's called Eat to Live. And he talks about how the first step towards healthy eating is to change the way you think about eating, that you shouldn't live to eat. You should eat to live. Yeah, there's a lot of different things out there. And, you know, I'm not talking about diets or anything like that. But the latest thing that I keep hearing a lot about is that intuitive eating, which I think is what in line with following your body's messages of what it's telling you. Do you want to talk about cults? <laughs> Always. So in Tennessee, there was a cult that they recently did a documentary on called The Way Down. It was based on what is a good, healthy, eating practice of intuitive eating mm -hmm. but then they added in jesus and a woman <laughs> with hair taller than dolly barton Ooh, ooh, there was some toxic things going on in that religion cults baby cults cults oh actually we didn't even get into that because clearly you know none of us are super religious either there's so many different religions that prohibit the eating of different things i mean if you yeah. supposedly follow the bible well you can't eat shellfish or pork or a whole bunch of other weird and jesus died for our right to eat shellfish <laughs> <laughs> when you look at what religious texts tell you not to eat a lot of times it's healthier foods that you're left with because as much as your girl loves bacon because your girl loves bacon bacon not great for you pork in general not super great for you i believe it's the hindus that don't eat cow is that accurate i think so they're sacred red meat not great for you so all the ones that we love that we're like this is my right to eat this science has said not the healthier choice when you talk to nutritionists they talk about how fish and fowl are really the better choices and there's not so many religions that restrict either of those hmm. if you look at religious texts of course you see human error because many times religious texts were created by humans but some some of the ancient texts, some of the fundamental things, I find it interesting they translate to stuff that science backs up. I mean, it does make sense. This was how knowledge was passed down. Don't do this or the magical thing that we can't see will kill you. Don't, <laughs> don't eat with the hand that you just used to clean up after you defecate. Guess what happens? You're going to get food poisoning and die. You know, so a lot of it's common sense to us now because we've scienced it. But for them, it was magic. But also, Jesus. I mean, was he a 
Was he a vampire? I'm wondering. Because <laughs> I thought about that constantly in church. When it talked about, you know, drinking his blood, eating his flesh, and he died and came back to life. I thought about Jesus being a vampire a lot during church. I don't blame I, you. I just assumed he was a zombie. Zombie? Yeah. But he's he's not trying to eat other people. He's trying to get people to eat him. I've heard that Jesus is Loki. I don't know enough about Loki to be able to say whether that makes sense or not. I'll send you the link. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that Loki, Jesus was Loki? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Well, not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what I've heard. Perfect. But that's right. now what she believes. <laughs> no. We need to get off. This episode's too long. No. Yeah, we really... You you have to finish with what positive anxiety for you. Oh. Uh, fucking nothing, dude. Two for nothing. <laughs> and then we have Bunsen with the, the killer positive reflection. As long as one of us has a positive influence, I feel like it's okay. <laughs> How, you know, I don't expect that I'm the positive one, but how am I the positive one? This? Oh, man. I, you know, the person who's most afraid to eat. But at the same time, I guess that anxiety saves me. Because so. you got the, the self-awareness gold star. Fair enough. And and isn't that really what this is all about? Our journey towards self-awareness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To That's make definitely what my therapist is place. trying to get me to do. <laughs> <laughs> We're, yeah, our therapists are going to need to listen to this one, I think. Oh, I really would love my therapist to listen to it. That way we can can just talk about my episodes each week and then I don't have to come up with what we should talk about during therapy. There's that thing. She can't do anything that might be connecting us. Uh-huh. So even if she listens, she can't subscribe. She, she has to listen individually. That's fair. And that's a that's a lot to ask a therapist to do, I think. <laughs> Here, spend an hour listening to me before you spend an hour listening to me. But you have to find it each week. <laughs> you can't be notified that a new one's out. It's an adventure. Listen to me for free for an hour and then I'll pay you. It's a BOGO. I know that every delusional person thinks that their therapist is like their friend, but sometimes I definitely <laughs> think my therapist is my friend. I don't know why she keeps charging me money. <laughs> I send her her movie recommendations and memes. It's great. I love it. Okay. This has been an episode of But I Don't Want To, an anxiety podcast. Happy <laughs> Maybe it's a podcast. Hard to say. We we can't be held responsible for any content we produce question mark thanks for listening to us we don't know why you did but yay somebody needs to listen to us Ah! Ah! (laughs) bye bye Bye. the next advertisement placement is brought to you in honor of our therapist now to roll the credits Big thanks to Sam Rochford for her use of the song Pedals. You can listen to the full version on Spotify, Apple Music, or any of those other places that you find music. If you want to connect with her and you're secretly 83 years old, like me, her Facebook page is called Sam Rochford Music. And if you're hip and cool, her TikTok is Boring Sad Music. Do you like our logo? It was done by friend of the pod and artist extraordinaire, The Ramble Pies. Her Instagram and TikTok are at the.ramble.pies. Don't know what you want, but want some art? Her Etsy is The Rambling Merchant. Now that's all one word. She does do commissioned works if you have something in mind. You can reach us at Linktree slash Anxiety Happy Hour. On Instagram at An Anxiety Happy Hour. On Facebook at An Anxiety Happy Hour. On YouTube at but I don't want to, an anxiety happy hour. 
on Twitter at AnxietyHHPod because apparently there's character limitations. Thanks, Elon. On TikTok at AnxietyHappyHour. Or email us at AnxietyHappyHour at gmail.com. This has been a Be Anxious production. Who Who is watching me? Someone needs to be watching me. <laughs> I know. We can't leave Beamer to our own devices. Things just happen. Then you get dogs and bat wings, and it's it's just all crazy. Adorable, and I will hear I, nothing else. I loved it. I thought it was great. You always pick the cute outfits for him. I have no qualms about anything I've ever seen Bob wear. I would never besmirch his wardrobe. He's adorable. Very much hashtag fashion puppy. <laughs>